on the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Hello and everybody, welcome to another edition of the Texas Tech Football Pro- Podcast. Brought to you weekly by the Lubbock Avalanche Journal Sports Department. I'm uh, Don Williams, uh, AJ Media Texas Tech football beat writer, joined as always by AJ Media sports editor Carlos Silva Jr. Texas Tech, Carlos coming off a uh, 54-21 victory against Florida International on Saturday. Red Raiders are 3-0 after non-conference play for the first time since 2017 and getting ready to face uh, Texas to open conference play. First Big 12 game coming up at 11 a.m. Saturday in Austin. And we're kind of several days past the FIU game, so just kind of hitting the high spots. Uh, I guess major development was uh, Tech, which had been predominantly Tyler Shuck to Eric Azukanma. And mm-hmm. plays by Taj Brooks for the first couple of weeks. Uh, then the passing game went to uh, pretty much everybody but Eric on Saturday night, and he saw big plays from all sorts of receivers. Tight ends caught three touchdown passes. Trey Cleveland made a highlight film touchdown catch. Dalton Rigdon had a big play. Kalen Geiger had a 52-yard catch, part of a six-catch, 121-yard night. And I guess the nicest thing about it, Carlos, uh, I guess for me, I don't know about for you, but uh, Texas Tech took care of business and won handily against a non-conference opponent. I think the one thing to gloss over is we kind of try and do this as quick as possible because I know everyone wants our Texas thoughts, but uh, Marquise Waters getting that pick six really changed the game, and not only that, but it's your second pick six in three games. So I think uh, just getting some touchdowns out of the defense was huge. I think that's going to be something that if you can continue to get a touchdown out of the defense, it's going to help the offense no matter what happens. But uh, for me – Special teams, I didn't hear anything from you because I was not at the game. I did hear that there were some bugs in the press box, so I'm sure we can discuss that at some other time. But uh, it was a biblical plague. Yeah. Yeah, there's still grasshoppers in our office right now that I'm sure are spreading around. But, um, yeah, joking aside, this is exactly how it should have happened, Don. I think uh, most of the fan base is now pleased that, okay, they finally got their big blowout win. Not only that, but then they found a way to close out SFA, and then you close out and you – get a big win over Houston. So I think overall, if you're looking at it, you can dissect it all you want, all the games or whatever. But at the end of the day, you are three and zero for, like you said, the first time in a while and a potential four and zero for the first time since I believe 2013, potentially, if you are able to beat Texas. That's right. Four, uh, four and zero would be first time since 2013. Couple of, couple of little notes uh, coming out of the uh, FIU game. Uh, Tyler shook, went down, uh, got, got knocked down as he was throwing a pass uh, in the second quarter of that game and came up limping a little bit. Asked him after the game how his knee was. He said, no big deal. He got uh, kind of – guy drove it into the turf, banged his knee a little bit. But he said, that was, you know, that was about a minute before they went in at halftime. So it felt good to come – once he came back out and kind of loosened up a little bit. And I guess it's notable because uh, after – uh, after he went down, he threw two more touchdown passes and led them to a couple more field goals. Didn't come out of the game until nine minutes left to play. So he said he's okay. Matt Wells said this week he's okay. And I expect Tyler Shuck to uh, – I'm pretty sure Tyler Shuck's going to be fine for Saturday. Um, Sir Roderick Thompson, we also saw him for the first time Saturday this past week. He carried four times, 11 yards, got back in. It's first time to play since uh, – he had that shoulder surgery in April, but, you know, Carlos, it presents uh, an interesting question now, and that is how do you use your running backs? Because while Sir Roderick was out, Taz Brooks really was uh, – uh, he became the man, mm-hmm. and Xavier White continued to do what Xavier White did last year, and that is uh, not carry a lot but have a high percentage of big plays when he does carry. So how do, how do you roll them out there? I think you are, uh, if you're DeAndre Smith, I think you're very happy that you have three capable backs. Not only that, but then, again, we're forgetting Chadarius Townsend. I know he's more of a special teams guy, but he's another guy that you can throw out there as well. But 
I think the one thing that you take away from this whole situation, even though it was tough not to have Sir Roderick to start for you, you now have a bona fide number one or number two guy in Todd Brooks. He's your north-south runner. He doesn't have that breakaway speed like Xavier Smith or Xavier White, pardon me. Uh, but I think uh, you have two guys that are certainly a position to be, you know, your number one, number two. And then if Sir Roderick can kind of pop in there and, you know, kind of earn his spot, because I know that's a big thing about Matt Wells now with all this competitive depth is you're going to have to earn your spot. And one thing that is notable uh, in those four carries that Sir Roderick had, the first one he had, he got a touchdown. So certainly uh, I think that's a nice uh, gesture from, uh, or gesture, pardon me, from Sonny Cumbie to, give a, a little bit of a smile to Sir Roderick when he did come back from that shoulder injury. But um, if I had to guess, Sir Roderick's going to continue to increase load, but I think Todd Brooks and uh, Xavier White will probably be getting the majority of the carries. That's just my perspective because, again, Matt Wells, at least from talking to him and kind of watching how he's done things with guys with injuries to where you and I have mentioned it ad nauseum, people always talk about, well, when's he coming back? Matt Wells says the same thing when they are 100% ready and they are 100% you know, healthy, which clearly that is what Sir Roderick is because he would not be playing if Matt Wells didn't have him cleared by the uh, medical staff. And not only that, but then you've had two guys that quite frankly, I want to say maybe other than inside that uh, facility, you know, kind of surprised some people. I, I know people talked a little bit about Todd Brooks before how he could be that complimentary piece for Sir Roderick, but I think now he's proven he could be the guy along with Sir Roderick, you know, instead of a, you know, one, two, one, a one B and Xavier white, again, the converted wide receiver, former Monterey Plainsman. I think the one thing about him that is going to be interesting, I think uh, Sonny Cumbie had mentioned this, maybe some other players. He's that one cut guy. I mean, he put plants his foot and then all of a sudden he's gone. And I think that's something that uh, Texas tech has really liked. And I think the other important thing before I kind of finish my thought and babbling Don is he has gotten the fumbles kind of fixed. I think that was the problem early on. He could have had an early touchdown against Houston, fumbled it at the goal line, and then I want to see he had a fumble against SFA. You can correct me if I'm wrong, which usually I am, but um, I think after that, he's kind of gotten rid of it, and you've seen all the big-time plays that they've been able to make the explosives, as the new term is with the colleges and the NFLs and all that stuff, but essentially they're chunk plays. Yeah, um, I think we see. I think we see the ball distribution pretty similarly. Um, I'd ex- I would expect Hodge Brooks to start again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, you know, based on what, what everything we've seen of him and everything I've said about him, I would expect they start him again. Uh, I think though, uh, Xavier's going to continue to do what Xavier does. I think though, uh, Sroderick has a lot of capital built up in the last couple of years. And so I think he's going to gradually get more and more carries. It'll be interesting to see uh, if, in fact, Brooks is the number one guy and how long it takes uh, Sir Roderick to kind of reclaim that spot. You know, here's one interesting angle on Saturday. Taj Brooks is uh, Taj Brooks is one of those guys who's from the Austin area. Mm-hmm. Manor High School. You know, Manor being uh, – Manor, pardon me. Being not far outside of Austin. So I imagine he's probably pretty fired up. To play this weekend. They're kicking off uh, again 11 o'clock at uh, Royal Memorial Stadium. Longhorns are uh, at last check today as we tape this a nine point favorite. Um, Dave, you know, a little bit of a rocky start for them. Uh, won their first game, then got uh, slapped down in the second by Arkansas, 40 to 20. Uh, changed quarterbacks during that game. Hudson Card started the first two games. Casey Thompson, they put him in uh, when they were way behind against the Razorbacks and started him last week. And it looks like it'll be Casey Thompson that Texas Tech will be facing this week. And so uh, Red Raiders will get a look at the quarterback who took over for Sam. He took over for Sam Ellinger and uh, played the second half of the Alamo Bowl last year against Colorado. Threw eight passes, four of them went for touchdowns. Um, the bigger – I think the the big uh, key matchup in this one, Carlos, though, is uh, uh, Texas Tech's run defense against uh, B. John Robinson. Robinson yes. He was a top running back recruit in the nation last year. He's played in 12 college football games now and just passed the 1,000-yard mark, 1,002 yards – a big time talent, you know. Tech is not allowed 100 yards rushing on the ground yet this season, 
um, and is ranked number nine in the FBS in rushing defense, giving up less than 60 yards per game. I don't know uh, how you feel about it, but I, I think uh, that is maybe the facet of the game that's that will decide the outcome if Tech can, can Tech continue doing what it's doing, or just BJ B. John Robinson go off. I agree with that, but then there is this other factor of Casey Thompson. What can he do? Because I think the one thing that maybe you and I agree on this a little bit, but. I do feel like Bajan Robinson could be that X factor, but I think the real thing is Will Sark and that being Steve Sarkeesian, the head coach, the first year head coach with the UT, will they be throwing the ball down the field? Because in previous games, that's been something that has been a hindrance or just a, a bad thing for Texas Tech because, again, they've had miscommunication in the secondary, whether that be because you've got new guys that are trying to figure out where everyone is or miscommunication, but that's been the word. And all of a sudden, that's how big plays happen. Keith Patterson mentioned it earlier this week or last week, I believe, when someone had asked him about, well, what has led to the better tackling or just, you know, your defense improving? And the biggest thing he had mentioned was the fact that they are not missing tackles. They're getting their assignments correctly. And I think that's the important thing is if you're tackling well, that's great. But the miscommunication in the back end of your defense, I think that's going to be the important thing for Texas Tech to kind of shore up. But the thing is, Don, is you look at the statistics or even I was watching a couple of their games before, which I don't know if you have, which you might because you actually pay attention to call it football unlike me. But the thing that I've noticed they is they use their tight ends. They use Bijan Robinson, who is their, third, I believe, second or third leading receiver, which is something to kind of be said because you haven't gotten much out of the freshman, the, the big freshman. I can't remember his name, Xavier something. Uh, I apologize. I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now, but um, he was supposed to be really good. And then, of course, you've got uh, the, the Quero star, uh, Jordan Whittington. Jordan Whittington. Yeah, he hasn't done as what you would like. I think they each had like one big game and then all of a sudden one catch for 14 yards or zero catches for zero yards or something like that. So, again, not to say that this could be the quote-unquote breakout game, but sometimes that has happened to Texas Tech where you've had a a player that has not, you know, done very well over the last couple of games, and then all of a sudden they just feel like, oh, this is the game where we're going to break out. And I think this is, again, I think Bajan's going to be the one that everyone's talking about, but I think the important one is going to be watching how the passing offense, starting with Casey Thompson, really plays against this Texas Tech secondary because I think it hasn't been tested, if we're kind of being honest, other than maybe against Houston, and even then you got beat a little bit. I think this is going to be the biggest test for Texas Tech. Yeah, best group of receivers. You know, Whittington's a talent. Um, Joshua Moore is a talent. Correct. Uh, the Moore only has four catches so far. And the guy that you mentioned, Xavier Worthy, is there you uh, go. the transfer. Uh, you know, one of the top, he was like a top 100 national recruit. And he has 10 catches so far. Not a, uh, it's not a, he's like a 6'1, 160 pound kid. Skinny mm-hmm. and kind of compare has been compared to Devontae Smith from Alabama. Um, so yeah, I, they don't have huge numbers yet, but uh, I think any of those guys are capable of uh, uh, going off on you. And it'll be, as you said, big challenge for you to keep tackling the way that you have, uh, the way that you've been tackling. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you can kind of see the same thing going for Texas Tech against their defense. Now, yeah, they do have to. Demarion Overshow, and they've got some other great linebackers. But the one thing that really stood out to me, Don, I don't know if you've kind of really crunched the numbers yet, but they have seven total sacks so far, so they haven't gotten to the quarterback that much in those three games that they've played. But the one thing that's really stood out to me, three of those sacks were against Rice. So in a blowout, so to speak, you didn't really get much going against Arkansas. And not only that, but most of those sacks are by your starters. It's not by any – well, I mean, obviously they're going to be by starters, but they haven't really been – you know, kind of pushed around, so to speak, or just balanced out. And I think that's something to kind of take into account when you're looking at the Texas Tech offensive line, which I know it hasn't played its best, but it's certainly improved each game. And I think this is something to also watch Texas Tech's offensive line against the defense, because this is a defense that has not gotten to the quarterback. And that is something that you cannot allow because if Tyler Shuck is having to run around, that could be a a, uh, problem. Although technically, as we've mentioned before, Sonny Cumbie's pretty good about adjusting the offense with his uh, movement and kind of all those things. But I- I'm just interested to see how the Texas Tech offense kind of plays against his defense because they are athletic. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. They're a great defense. They have a bunch of athletes, but I think they have not shown the ability to get to the quarterback so far yet. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think the bigger thing for the offensive line in this game is how well are you going to run block? And it's not so much yeah. necessarily how well you do against the guys coming off the edge going after Tyler Shuck. It's can you move guys like Keandre Coburn uh, and Sweat out of the middle? I mean, they're you know, nose tackles go 6'2, 340, and 6'4, 336. Mm-hmm. They are massive. Uh, on the inside. I mean, think about it this way. Their they're, they're, nose tackles are 40 and 50 pounds heavier than Jalen Hutchings and Tony Bradford go for Texas Tech. So I, th- I think that's, uh, you know, another one of the keys. It's not just – I think the overall big, biggest key of the game for me is can Texas Tech stop the run? And I think another right there closely behind that is uh, can Texas Tech run the football so that uh, Shuck doesn't have to throw – 40 passes. We um, remember how this one ended last year, 63 to 56 overtime loss for Tech against the Longhorns, leading 56 to 41 with three minutes left. And then, yep. and then the wheels fell off. And um, I had to rewrite my story. Neither person was happy about that. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Let's flip it to questions real quickly. Sure. Uh, ask folks to send us questions uh, each week. Um, and uh, it's always you get more interaction. Aaron Aaron Baxter asked, uh, non-conference is over. Conference play now begins. Has your opinion about where Texas Tech will finish in the Big 12 changed since the preseason? I'll uh, let you go first on that one, Carlos. I'm going to go a little bit out of the box here. I don't think it necessarily changed because of what Texas Tech did in the non-conference. I think it changed because of what the other teams have done during their non-conference where you've seen Oklahoma struggle, you've seen Texas struggle, you've seen all these other teams struggle. So at least from my perspective, I know everyone's going to say Iowa state and Oklahoma are number one, number two. I tend to agree with that still just because of the means, you know, eventually getting there. But I think there's a nice little toss up from three to about six. And I think that's where Texas tech is going to land somewhere because there are a bunch of teams that are really good. But depending on if you can, as Matt Wells likes to say, finish off games or close them, I think that's going to be the difference between third and six. And again, I, I feel like Texas Tech was supposed to go three and zero. They did go three and zero. The manner that they did it, I think it's good to know that they can close out games. Now, granted, you had to close out a game against SFA. Are you able to do that against a more talented team in like an Oklahoma State or? even a Baylor, even though they've struggled or, you know, just any team in the big 12 where I know the term is these games matter more because they go to bowl eligibility and kind of all these things. But I think there's just something different when you're playing teams that kind of know what you are or know what you're about. Yeah. And I would say, uh, I think I've had tech pick tech six in the big 12. Mm-hmm. I'd still keep them about right in that, in that group. Uh, pretty much go along with, with what you said about, you know, not a lot of, uh, uh, you know, not a lot of Big 12 teams have uh, jumped out there so far. Some of the ones at the top have disappointed, like Oklahoma and Iowa State um, and Texas. Um, uh, you know, I picked Tech sixth at the beginning of the year. Uh, I've non-conference play. I basically saw what I expected to saw, still expected to see, um, and I, uh, I thought they would be a middle of the pack team. And I kind of still see them that way, although uh, a lot of teams in this conference look pretty beatable right now. Um, I mean, like I said, other than maybe Oklahoma and Iowa State, those are the only ones that I feel are the top tier that you have to kind of prove yourself. And I think that's the only reason Iowa State's kind of raised its cachet or its, pro- its profile is because they have beaten Oklahoma in Norman or they've beaten at Texas or they've beaten all these other teams. And I think that's what Texas Tech needs to do here if they kind of want to do the same. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Twitter follower with just a number, 002, asked for a prediction for the outcome in Austin. Uh, again, Tech, an underdog by nine points. Which moved. I believe it was a touchdown, wasn't it? Pardon? Uh, last, I lo- last I looked a couple hours ago, it was still nine points. Uh, okay. Nevertheless, uh, again, Tech's had, Tech has had uh, recent successes down there in the capital city. Cliff Kingsbury's bunch beat Texas in Austin in 2015 and 2017. 
jumped out to a lead in 2019, but uh, didn't finish the job. Lost 49 to 24. Uh, Carlos, uh, your prediction for the outcome? I'm going to say, and I know this might sound really dumb right now, but I feel like Texas Tech pulls it out. I don't think it's going to be the uh, shootout that it was last year. I think it's going to be a little bit closer just because of, as you said, Don, I think both of these teams are the same. Maybe Texas has more athletes because of Texas being Texas. But I think Texas Tech has closed the gap with their run defense because if you're able to shut down the team's running attack, the rest of it will kind of follow itself as they've shown they've been able to turn the ball over Granted, they got the four interceptions in the first game against Houston, but if you talk about the fact that they've got two pick sixes in the last three games, yes, you can talk about the opponents, but I think the fact that the defensive scheme that Keith Patterson has been perfecting the last three years is starting to work out. You finally have some more competitive depth. You've got a guy, Marquise Waters, who's starting to show his playmaking ability. Reggie Pearson's already shown his playmaking ability by transferring from Wisconsin, getting a start, and he gets an interception uh, in his first uh, plays or I guess, uh, logging minutes on the field, so to speak, for Texas Tech. I think that's all good for Texas Tech, and I would say that they probably beat them by a field goal. That'll be a big score. I'm going to say 38-35 they really need something, I guess. It'll be a great game to watch. I guess I'll be the killjoy. Feel free. Uh, uh, you know, Texas is getting favored. Texas is favored. Uh, it's tough to beat those guys down there. It doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think uh, I think Texas probably wins this one uh, somewhere in the range of uh, I don't know thirty one to twenty four kind of game is 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 what I'm seeing. Uh, I don't I don't think uh, I don't think Tech will go off the way they did last time down there when they scored forty nine. Again, I agree with you. You know, Tech defense is better, uh, so I think they'll hold them. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be a lower scoring game. We're scoring game this time around, but uh, got the horns. Expect the horns to win this one. David Collier, our friend from over at KMAC Red Raider Nation, asked how many of these seven tech wins in Austin have you been in attendance for, and which one is the most memorable? And it's interesting because I was just looking back here, I hadn't really thought about that, but I was just looking back, and I guess of the tech wins in Austin, I think I was only there for two of them. One was the uh, 2017 game that Tech won 27-23, where Nick Shimanek said, uh, put me in, coach. It's yep. time. And the other was the uh, – There was a nice little interception at the end. Sam Allinger kind of helped out. You remember that. And I believe that was the last time I actually made the trip to Austin. The Justice the, – Yeah, the Justice Parker pick. So, um, in the 2015 game, I was there for that one, the 48-45 Tech victory. That was uh, – the one that was known for the hook and play where uh, they hit Jakeem Grant behind the right guard and uh, he went to about 40, you know, 50 yards for the, for a touchdown to. It was of, called uh, Little Man Big World or something is the play. That, that's what Cliff said after the game, but I think that the play call as they called it in practice that week was, uh, was hook them. Oh, yeah. uh, and I think those were, you know, Tech, tech had, uh, Tech had a few other. I had some other wins in Austin during my time here, but other guys were the beat writer during that time when I was a columnist. So I wasn't actually down there for those. I will say this. I was not in a te- – to me, the most memorable tech victory in Austin, uh, uh, and, and uh, I was not actually there for that one, but it was the 1989 game where Tech won 24-17, to 17, mm-hmm. and that was the first win in Austin since 1955. Mm-hmm. And that was memorable because uh, Jamie Gill threw a 65-yard touchdown pass to Anthony Mannyweather with four minutes left in the game. It came on third and 26, and it was uh, one of four wins that year over top 20 teams for a Tech team that finished way beyond expectations and won nine games, including a bowl. So that was certainly – so, so certainly you've covered a little bit more or watched a little bit more. I'm going to be more recency biased as I remember the Justice Parker pick. And I think the reason it's memorable to me was because afterward, I don't know if you remember, Don, we talked to Kirby right afterward and he said, well, Cliff is coming back. <laughs> so Justice Parker essentially kind of got Cliff one more year because of the interception from uh, Sam Ellinger. Which yeah, I think, you're, I think you were downstairs for that one and I was. Uh, I was. I still remember texting you. I, I remember texting you and telling him, please make sure this gets in. So that's the only reason I remember that one more. I mean, obviously the interception was big and everyone got fired up. All the Red Raider fans were there, but I was just 
kind of wild because essentially we wrote something. If I remember correctly, we both wrote columns. And then literally about 30 minutes afterward, we wrote different columns because Kirby said Tech was, uh, Cliff was coming back. So yeah. long night, if I remember correctly, that was about a 3.30 a.m. night. Yeah, I believe you're right. Uh, let's see, Ryan King, uh, uh, at Ryan underscore King underscore now. Friend of the show. Asked, asked me, why is Austin the worst city in America? Uh, we really need to find that column of yours. Well, I ranked Austin as the worst city in the Big 12 a few years ago. <laughs> and I'm not sure it's gotten any better since. Why did I rank it the worst city in the Big 12? Because the traffic is horrendous. Apparently, they had no planning for growth because the traffic is horrendous. Um, you have the humidity down there, which uh, we don't have a whole lot of here in Lubbock. Uh, you have to deal with the uh, arrogance and smugness of the Longhorn folk. Um uh, you have, uh, you know, you get the hipster scene yeah. That's not for me. Uh, they have the, and they have aggressive panhandlers. One of my uh, stories about Austin is when is that I, you and Phil? is that you and Phil? Yeah. Phil, me and Phil Torino were down there in Austin covering a state track meet. And, uh, Phil is from New York city, by the way, he's a big city guy. And he, and we pull up to a stoplight and a couple of panhandlers come out from under the bridge <laughs> wanting to squeegee. Uh, and, and wash our windshield for money. And, nice. uh, and Phil, like I said, Phil's a New Yorker, so he's not uh, – uh, he could be, I guess, abrasive if he, if, if he wanted. He was or, very short, very short. <laughs> and he told them, uh, no, there will be no, uh, yeah. no window wiping for us. Thank you. The best part was he's a great storyteller afterward. He probably made about a 10-minute conversation, about 35 to 40 minutes, if I remember when he described that when you all came back. So, so that was pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. ranked Austin uh, worst city in the Big Twelve a few years ago, and again, it's it's a question of either either it's either tenth or it's seventeenth. I think. Uh, let's see, Suzanne Carlos made Carlos made a joke on Monday, on on Tuesday about the uh, sure did. press conference, and Suzanne asked why I was deprived of ever owning an iPod Shuffle, and Suzanne, it's because. Uh, uh, I uh, there's nobody you know that knows less about technology than uh, than I do, and I tend to kind of just sort of miss entire cycles of uh, of technology and technology improvements and upgrades and whatnot. I just got rid of my uh, iPhone four. Yes, just, uh, just in the past month, I was on an iPhone iPhone four. <laughs> he said, "I'm three G, baby." They said you got to get rid of it by February or it'll just stop working on you. So uh, yeah. I found that. And I still have vinyl records at home. I have a cassette tape. I have a box of cassette tapes. So you are a little hipster, Don. You got some vinyl records. There you go. Oh, that's a hipster thing now? That is a hipster thing, sir. And, <laughs> I, and, and I, have, uh, I have a big I have a case of CDs. And I there you go. I have a CD player in my car, so I still listen to CDs. So a little compact. Disc. I just. Uh, so no, I just never had a never had the iPod Shuffle. And then just to kind of add on to that, I am a very terrible listener. All I heard was Matt Wells saying Don doesn't have an iPod Shuffle. And then of course you know me because I'm Mr. Twitter. I had to tweet something out really quick because I didn't want Eric Kelly to beat me to it. So, so that was my fault. I started it all. Okay, so uh, Rock and Free Game, uh, which may be our friend Sean Donahue. Sean Dillon, baby. Sean, yes. Sean asked, uh, I think it's Sean, asked uh, top three places to get a chicken fried steak. This one's right up your alley, Carlos. I think uh, I think uh, the favorite chicken fried steak place for you and me is the same place. I'll let you uh, talk about I am, it. I, I am actually proud to say that I introduced you to said place because it's funny that you had never, I, I can't remember the story, but when I took you there, I think you had said that you wanted to go or whatever, but for some reason, I somehow got you out early. Because for, for those that don't know a little bit of background, Don likes to kind of leave a little bit later for road trips, but I got him to get out. I want to say we left at like nine or 10, something like that, which again, kind of early for some people, really early for you. And then I could tell you weren't happy. And then all of a sudden, once we turned off this little, uh, I guess, uh, road off the highway on I-20 and we went to Strong, Texas and Mary's Cafe and you were in heaven. It's the best That's chicken, the best chicken I've had. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say it's the best chicken breast steak. Um, I didn't realize Tom was that close to the interstate. That's why I'd never actually turned off and gone there. Yeah, and, no, I mean, like I said, it's it's about a good 10-minute drive, but, I mean, it's it's totally worth it to me. I, I would just say go, uh, go there when you're actually driving to Dallas. It's a lot difficult when you're driving away from Dallas and you're having to, you know, do the extra four hours on a big, heavy stomach. So, but, yeah, there – I'm sure there are other better chicken fried steaks I've had. The Babes is pretty good. I used to like Luby's back in the day because you could put pico de gallo on it. Um, and I'm sure there's other ones, but I can't remember because, again, we do this off the top of our heads. But th- th- those are the three that, that I've enjoyed throughout my life. Uh, let's see. Some of our listeners are really like food questions. Our friend, yeah. our friend Collier asked if I, ever, if I, Don, ever eat breakfast. And... Collier, for your information, I cooked myself uh, some sausage and hash browns today, buddy. So there you go. Not only eat, eat breakfast, I even cook it myself. I can whip up some yeah. eggs, hash browns, sausage, bacon, waffles, you name it. All the and, easy stuff, baby. That's what's so great about breakfast. Easy and it's quick. Asked if I will be going to one in a million this weekend. Uh, I'm not familiar with one in a million, Collier. Sorry. It's essentially a taco place that has really big tacos, but I would doubt you're going there. And uh, let's see, our friend Nathan Gash Langview asked, uh, who wins in a fight, a longhorn or a foghorn leghorn? Well, I say maybe a foghorn leghorn. You really think foghorn would be a longhorn? <laughs> would he beat a longhorn? I don't know. Maybe maybe if he were uh, worked up enough, I think he could. I mean, I'll, I'll give him credit. He's got the uh, appendages to actually – he's not like an actual chicken, you know. He's got actual appendages, so – Maybe he'll talk him to death. I don't know. No. I do not know the. I don't. I don't know an answer to uh, for for our friend uh, Jason Bridge here. Jason asked, uh, "What our fa- What's your favorite Ernest movie?" Ernest uh, was the camp. Was the camp. I've never watched an Ernest movie, so I don't know. Unbelievable, done. Unbelievable. They are hilarious. Jason Barney. Jason Barney. He's a treasure. All righty, I'll take y'all's word for it. <laughs> So we've uh, completely run this uh, podcast off the rails, but I think uh, Carlos is going to get it back on now because you talked to our friend Kirk Bowles down at the, uh, down at the Statesman for a little more uh, football talk and a preview of the Longhorns, right, Carlos? Absolutely. I spoke to Kirk uh, Bowles of the Austin American Statesman columnist, and he'll actually be there, so you'll probably talk to him. But uh, we got a little bit deeper on Texas and what you can expect he- – Went a little bit in on Bijan Robinson, how he felt the uh, pass offense was. A little bit of a spoiler. He doesn't think it's that great. So certainly a good listen for all of you. And appreciate y'all listening to another edition of the Red Raider podcast. We'll talk to you next week. And here comes the second part of our podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Carlos Silva from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, the sports editor for the newspaper that covers Texas Tech Red Raiders. And, of course, there's a big game coming up this weekend, that being against the University of Texas in Austin. So as we always do for the Red Raider podcast, we bring in the beat writer or at least uh, someone that knows a lot about the UT Longhorns. And that would be Kirk Bowles of the Austin American Statesman. How are you doing, Kirk? Hey, I'm doing wonderful, man. Good to talk to you again. No, absolutely. It seems like uh, everything's starting to come back to, as everyone likes to quote normal, I call it routine, but uh, certainly not a routine for UT as every time Texas Tech has traveled to Austin, it seems like Texas Tech, at least in its last two appearances, at the 40 acres has gotten a victory, I guess, uh, for you with Sark getting his first couple games in, I guess what, what's been the, the, the thought process or just kind of the overall feel and mood of the, of the UT fan so far about Sark. Well, I thought expectations were really high as they usually are most any place for a new coach uh, and somebody coming from Alabama kind of stoked those fires even, uh, even greater uh, and after they beat a, a very good Louisiana team right off the bat and won by 20, a game yeah. that was supposed to be closed, that, that excited everybody. Then so much of the air went out of that balloon in Fayetteville when they just really stumbled and, and looked like a bad team. They just looked mm-hmm. overmatched against one of the second or lower tier SEC teams. So that, that discouraged everybody. And then, you know, they beat Rice like you Thought they would. It's not a very good Rice team. So now everybody's kind of, you know, in limbo again now, Carlos. Like, well, how good are they? And we're going to find out because they got Texas Tech on the road to TCU in Oklahoma in the next three weeks. Absolutely. And Texas Tech is in kind of the same water. I know 
Matt Wells is in his third year, but you kind of think uh, you had a good Houston team, or at least what I thought was a good Houston team that you were able to had to come back after being down 27 to one scored 31 straight points, if I'm not mistaken. Then after that, you had SFA who you struggled, but you found a way to win. Then FIU finally that quote unquote blowout game, which I think the fan base kind of needed just to kind of, you know, feel like, okay, we're finally blowing out teams that we should, Uh, which I feel it's the same way with uh, UT and rice. But I guess from your perspective, watching it from a sports writer mind, what were you kind of expecting from this Sark offense or what were you expecting from this defense and what were you expecting from the special teams units, which all have new coaches at the helm of each of each of those units, so to speak? Well, I was quite frankly, I was thoroughly impressed by the Louisiana game plan, the way they approached it, the way they went into it, the way they attacked and kind of kept their same intensity the whole game. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the Arkansas game, it was like, where's the creativity uh, Hudson Card, the redshirt freshman who he named the starting quarterback in August, had started the first two games and and just looked horrible. You know, yep. it was like I think it was like seven possessions. There were three and out on five of them, and I I really thought Sark might uh, go with the backup Casey Thompson, the current starter now at halftime, but he didn't till there's about two minutes left in the third quarter, and that game had already gotten away. So, you know, the jury's still out. Quite frankly, on Sark, the defense is, you know, playing a little better. They didn't look very good against Arkansas. They've been better in the red zone, rely heavily on linebackers, a lot like Texas Tech uh, has been doing under uh, Coach Patterson. So in uh, special teams, they got a, a dynamic uh, punt return to Sean uh, Jameson as well as mm-hmm. David Worthy, this freshman receiver, and they've already blocked a punt for a safety. So I think they're emphasizing special teams a whole lot more than uh, Tom Herman and Pete Kwiatkowski, their new defensive coordinator for Washington, is is probably an upgrade as well. So uh, overall, I'd give them high marks, but they definitely stubbed their toe against uh, Arkansas, no question. I was going to ask you because you brought it up with special teams. I know that's been something that's been plaguing Texas Tech. I, I know Matt Wells kind of disagrees with Don and I in that sense. They have had two muff punts uh, or I guess just uh, – I guess, bad decision-making on punt uh, returns. So that did turn into turnovers for uh, Texas Tech in that sense. I guess, do you kind of feel like that's something that uh, you all asked or something that Coach Sark is really passionate about because of the the the, art, the uh, Alabama way part of me in terms of just kind of getting extra possessions any way you can? Absolutely. And Jeff Banks, their tight end special teams coach, he brought with him from Alabama is a well – a highly regarded special teams coach. He did that uh, at other places like UTEP and A&M and yep. is held in high esteem. And, and they've, they've left some opportunities on the, on the field, Carlos. They had, uh, uh, I guess, Louisiana, Deshaun Jameson, had like, a, I don't know, 75, 80-yard punt return for a touchdown. Called mm-hmm. back, blocking in the back against Arkansas. Very early in the game, if you remember, they, the Arkansas guy muffed the punt. Texas recovered at the five. Yep. But uh, the Longhorn players' right toe was out of bounds, so they would yeah. have had an easy score maybe at the five. Could have changed the whole tone of the game. So, And he starts a lot of starters on his special teams. He wants his, a lot of his best people out there. Uh, somebody like a Brendan Scooter, you know, Collins' uh, uh, brother, you know, he's on like five out of six special teams. So mm-hmm. there is a sense of urgency there and a sense of importance. And I think in the long run that'll probably play dividends for – Sarkeesian in Texas. Switching from special teams to the offense, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned Jeff Bench at UTEP because that's how old I am. I used to cover him when he was with the Miners. <laughs> so. But uh, switching to offense, I, I know everyone's going to say say the name, but Bijan Robinson, obviously, he's been a all-star caliber type of player for UT over the last couple of weeks. I guess what have you seen from him that's made him that much better? From, from my perspective, certainly he's your leading rusher. He's got almost 300 yards in three games. But I think the thing that's interesting to me He's the third leading receiver. So I guess is that just something to where I guess maybe Hudson Card hasn't been able to find some of his other guys, or I guess what's been kind of working there or not working for Texas Tech? Their receivers really hadn't shown up. They they did a little better. Xavier Worthy, I mentioned before, the true Mm -hmm. freshman out of California. He signed with Michigan, wanted to enroll early. They didn't want him to. For whatever reason, they end up here in Texas because Alabama and Sarkeesian had been recruiting him. He's their alpha dog. He's their top receiver. Joshua Moore, leading receiver in yards and catches last year, has been almost invisible. He has very little productivity. 
So consequently, they're throwing the ball to their running back, like Bajon Robinson, throwing it to tight ends uh, on wheel routes out of the backfield, and uh, and throwing it to Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington. You know the the Quero star who's yep. had trouble staying healthy. They got him, you know, very involved. Uh, so and I think that we'll see a lot more of that. So passes to the running backs are very big, and that kind of shows you. You know, Bijan's versatility. They've got really good running back. Keelan Robinson, the transfer yep. from Alabama. Roshan Johnson, the junior now, who was a converted quarterback. They've got some speed there. They've got some depth, and uh, they can use him in a variety. Keelan Robinson, you know, we we're talking special teams, Carlos. He had a 65-yard touchdown run. Looked as fast as any running back I've seen at Texas in ages. He also blocked the punt for the safety. So they've got a lot of athletes. Speaking of athletes, you kind of alluded to it earlier on. I guess what do you feel caused uh, Coach Sark to make the change from Hudson Card to Casey Thompson, other than maybe not playing up to his potential? Well, they said it was a close battle. We kind of all went into mid-August, like past the first scrimmage, thinking, well, Casey projects the image as a starter, very calm, very poised at the great second half in the Alamo Bowl against the so-so Colorado team. Mm-hmm. He acted like it's his team, his body language, everything. He's a film maniac. He told us Monday, yeah, I was the backup Sam Ellinger one one week. I, I spent 12 hours one day studying film. He's a film yeah. junkie. So yeah. he has that experience, good wheels. Hudson Card, probably the bigger arm, bigger upside long-term, but Casey's just got that poise and some experience as a fourth-year junior, even though he just started one game last week. So I think it's – he kind of, I think he went with the raw redshirt freshman with a big upside and kind of realized, I got to have a bigger sense of urgency and owe it to this team, start the best guy now. And that's why I think he switched. So you mentioned uh, talking to some of these guys and maybe Sark earlier this week. I guess have they mentioned anything about what they're they're expecting from the Texas Tech defense? Because for most of these coaches, it's going to be their first look at some of these guys, whereas Matt Wells and even Sonny Cumbie to a point have seen some of these players on the other side in Big 12 conference already. Yeah, I, I, he sure talked a, a good respect game on Monday, Carlos. Uh, you know, he knows Matt Wells and respects him. I don't think it's lip service and uh, – Again, I go back. I just think they're so improved by the most improved team in the in the Big Twelve. And defense is a reason. If you're a top ten rush defense, and that's where you know Texas really wants to make hay. That's their strength with the young yeah. quarterbacks and not great receivers so far. Running backs were the one strength that they wanted to rely on. So I think they got a world of respect for that defense and. As you have told us, they're not missing tackles. They're finishing drives. They're finishing plays. They're they're scoring with pick sixes and you know five interceptions. So they're very aggressive. And I don't know. I just think uh, they're going to be in for a little bit more of a fight than I think most Longhorn fans give Texas Tech credit for. I slightly agree with that, but let's just uh, kind of put some things in perspective. They did have four of those interceptions against Houston, so, That's so kind of throw that there. But certainly the, the one interception by Marquise Waters last week was a game changer, and I think that's something that Texas Tech has been missing. Where right. Here they did make those plays, but the offense wasn't able to capitalize this year. It seems like they've been able to do that, and I think that's going to be interesting to kind of see how this Texas offense at least kind of game plans against this very opportunistic is the best way I would describe it yeah. at defense. And I think that's something that Keith Patterson's doing, but uh, they won't be intimidated either. Will they? Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely not. I mean, here's the thing, Kirk. And, and I, I know this is going to probably be talked about ad nauseum on radio and it probably already has, but I mean, like Texas was beating Texas or uh, Texas tech was beating Texas last year up until three minutes, you know, should have beat him, should have beat him. And craziness happened. I mean, for, for lack of a better term, I mean, they should have beat him. They didn't. And I think that's what kind of sticking in the craw of the players and coach Wells. I mean, we Eric as he said, it's the biggest L last season. They all remember how terrible they felt. Matt Wells has talked about it. They want to close out games. And I think if there's a team to close out a game on, that would be Texas for Texas tech. But uh, if you're able to close out games, that means you play good defense and, uh, I guess with uh, the defense for the Longhorns, what have you seen from uh, their new defensive coordinator and what, what, what I guess is kind of the, I guess the general themes, if you will, of their defense so far that you've seen? Well, they've been, they talked about the defensive line all summer and all early fall, and they, they love their depth there. What they, they don't have is that one guy, they don't have a Bosa, 
somebody like that who disrupts and takes over a game like Joseph Asai did against Oklahoma State uh, last year. They just have a lot of really good players depth-wise. And their yep. pass rush has been a little lacking, Carlos, to be quite honest. I think Sark and Pete Kwiatkowski, the DC, uh, have been disappointed in the pass rush. They've, they've had to bring their linebackers some blitzes and – and Chris Adamore and Anthony Cook on corner blitzes a lot more than uh, I think they've wanted to. As you know, the defense, if you can put pass rush and heat uh, on a quarterback and get him out of his rhythm with just your front four, that's ideal because then you can kind of call the shots, double uh, team receivers like an easy, you know, who are so mm -hmm. good. So I think the linebackers are playing really well. DeMarvion Overstone's the name. These yeah. are all America candidates, just faster than a speeding bullet, former safety. Uh, he's just – he's the real deal. You know, he, he, can, he, can, he can be an All-American, I think. Uh, their secondary is good. Josh Thompson's are maybe their best cornerback. Uh, B.J. Foster, really good safety. Uh, like I said, on the defensive line, they, you know, they got a guy transferred Ogufo from Notre Dame. He was yep. kind of a fair part at Notre Dame, and he played 20 games, never started a game, and now he's – He's starting for Texas. So does that tell us, was he just a guy and Notre Dame really didn't care? And, you know, it's different than Alabama where the backup and the third team may be yeah. just a hair, uh, not as good as the first team. So, but they play so many people and they keep so many people fresh. I think that's one of their strengths as well. Absolutely. And, I, and I'll just go back to Marquise Waters. He was a guy that played a little bit at Duke, but now it's all of a sudden he's finding a playmaker status with Texas Tech. And I think that's something that, it's going to be interesting, at least maybe in the next two to three years, is maybe when things balance out. I think that might be why some of these FCS teams are making some some waves against some of these quote unquote blue bloods or bigger teams. I think it's just some of the kind of balancing out, and I think that's kind of interesting to kind of see there. And the transfer power five teams obviously hurt Tennessee, where all their studs went to, you know, Oklahoma and and Alabama. The linebacker A and M got an alignment, so it kind of there's kind of that sifting through and a lot of those are it's it's just very fluid situation now and that's why you know like you said matt wells is what 22 transfers they got older mm -hmm. they got more experience and now these guys that may have been backups like a goofo who i mentioned at notre dame now there's their chance to shine you know and a lot of them are older players obviously when they some of them even grad transfers going to throw out some stats to you just on the defense that kind of stood out to me when I was doing some research here. Is there anything to kind of be looked at in terms of the seven total sacks they've had and that three of them were against Rice? Is there some, like you said, is there just a problem to where the defensive line just not able to get to the backfield and that's something that maybe they're been, they've been trying to work on or is that something that, that they've been trying to, you know, as you said, they were bringing more linebackers on the blitz or they're trying to figure something out, but it's just interesting to me that three of those seven sacks happened in your last game against Rice in a blowout. Well, and I think of those seven, Carlos, I think uh, only three have come from starters, you know, for the season. Yeah. So it, yeah. it kind of tells you you don't have one of those singular talents that they just can't block him or yeah. you have yeah. to double him and that's going to free up somebody else. It just – I just don't think there's that much difference between with Jacoby Jones. We thought he was going to be much better. Uh, Alfred Collins, the, the, the beast from Bastrop, who's a sophomore now. It's like, they're, you know, they're good players. You just don't – you don't, there's not somebody you watch and go, all right, you watch him. You want to watch him ever play. They don't have that. Now, maybe they'll develop it, you know, later in this season, but to this point, they don't have it yet. And I think it's more that than, than scheme. And that's why I think they blitz so much. Which is interesting that you bring that up because I feel like now with Big 12 season as the quote-unquote games that matter, if you will, because of the standings and all the bowl implications and all that stuff. Certainly there's going to be some guys that might be able to step up and change a game. Who are some guys minus Bijan Robinson? And maybe if you want to include Casey Thompson, you can, but who are some guys that may kind of shine and maybe make some plays and could be the difference in, in the game for Texas going into this weekend? Well, I'm, I'm waiting for Joshua Moore to explode and, and have his coming out party. I, I'm looking at his stats. Listen to his stats. Uh, the first three games, Carlos, uh, against Louisiana, three catches, 17 yards, no catches against Arkansas. Against Rice, one catch for 22 yards. So, you know, he hasn't really done anything. And, you know, Jordan Whittington had the seven catch, 113 yards in the opener against Louisiana, did very little against uh, Arkansas. He had a chance to catch a ball in the end zone and dropped another deep 
past, so probably hurt the, uh, his confidence a little bit. So uh, Roshan Johnson, keep an eye on him. He's he's a junior now. He's uh, he's got he's got a real burst to him. He had a long run too out of the Wildcat. You know, former quarterback. So mm-hmm. I can see them setting that up. Okay, Roshan Johnson's at Wildcat. Watch out the run, and he's going to pass because. He's a former quarterback, so I'd keep an eye on him, uh, especially this game. So I think Joshua Moore, you know, could have a breakout. They use their tight ends a lot. They'll they'll have t- three tight end uh, formations that they use. So mm-hmm. uh, and as far as uh, defense, like I said, Josh Thompson. Probably, I don't know if he'd be isolated on easy the most. Their senior cornerback and uh, Deshaun Jamison, their punt returner. He's also a senior cornerback. So, uh, you know, there's going to be that sense of urgency. I don't think – I think that, yeah. that place will be rocking. And I think I think the coaching staff are going to have them ready for Texas Tech because I don't think they'll kind of uh, sleepwalk into that game. Absolutely not. I think it's certainly going to be a good game between both teams. And it's funny you, meant, you mentioned sleepwalk because it's going to be 11 a.m. Saturday morning. <laughs> so hopefully you get your coffee at DKR Texas <laughs> Memorial Stadium. Don Williams will be there for the coverage. You can follow him at AJ underscore Don Williams. This has been another edition of the Red Raider podcast. Appreciate y'all listening. Don't forget to listen to the On Second Thought podcast. It's done by the Austin American Statesman. I joined them to provide my thoughts and, of course, uh, just some general general jokes as I normally do. But, uh, Kirk, uh, for you, I always try to do this as a walk-off uh, predictions. It doesn't have to necessarily be a score, but how do you feel like if you're watching this game, you're going to say, okay, this is good for tech or this is good for Texas uh, I think Texas is going to take care of business. I think the fact that last year's game was so close and the fact that Texas Tech has won its last two trips to Austin, even though it's a new coaching staff, they they know they didn't do anything against Rice to impress anybody. So, yeah. And they know if they lose this one with TCU and Oklahoma the next two, oh, my God, the sky will be falling in Austin. I think Texas Tech is going to score some points. I got a load of respect for – Tyler Shuck and Sonny Cumbie, of course. So, it, to me, it looks like kind of a, a Texas, maybe a, a 34-24 game, something like that. I think Tech's going to be very competitive and maybe even be leading in the first half. So, But I, I think Tech's going to get their full attention, and I think Texas probably comes away with the win, if only because it's in Austin. Once again, that's Kirk Bowles. You can follow him at K-B-O-H-L-S on Twitter. He's the Austin American Statesman sports columnist and also a co-host of the On Second Thought podcast, as I mentioned before. Appreciate you, Kurt. And for him, I'm Carlos Silva from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. This has been another edition of the Red Raider podcast. Appreciate you all for listening. We'll talk to you next week.